This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Hello and welcome to Backstory, the show about books, the craft of writing and the people behind the lines. I'm Mel Cranenberg and it is rolling around again, that incredible time of year when new ideas and voices and of course writers emerge, they get on stage so we can hear them. Running from the 19th to the 29th of June is the Emerging Writers Festival and this year promises to be packed with thought-provoking and inspiring events from an opening panel to speaking about speaking truth to power which is something that we very much really need to be thinking about to reimagining language with multicultural poets and thinking about what libraries might look like in the year 2022 even bots making poetry to name just a few of the many many events that are happening and they won't just be live some of them might even be uh, something that you can watch online as well Later in the hour, Festival Director Izzy Roberts-Orr will join me to talk about the fascinating talks and events coming up at the Emerging Writers' Festival. But very, very soon, Simpson and his donkey became a symbol for Australian nation-building, as did all of the action uh, on Gallipoli. The idea of the selfless soldier and his weary four-legged companion risking and ultimately dying to save wounded soldiers was held up as a kind of Australian martyr to notions of an emerging Australian identity, egalitarianism, for some. In his new book, a novella, Simpson Returns, Wayne McCauley employs this myth-making for an allegorical tale of his own, one that follows the somehow magically resurrected Simpson and his donkey as they try to right the ills of modern Australia, misogyny, racism and denial of Indigenous people to name but a few. He kind of unravels the Australian martyr myth and raises questions about what it was founded on. So soon Wayne McCauley will join me to talk about his book, uh, The Ideas and Myth Behind It. Three Triple R. You're listening to Backstory on 3RRR. I'm Mel Cranenberg. Now, the events of this weekend has certainly made us think a lot about uh, the different ways in which people look at Australia and Australia's cultural identity. And a book that has just uh, come out, a novella by Wayne McCauley, certainly is something that will help us ponder that. It's a book that reimagines the uh, Simpson and his donkey uh, tale and the myth that surrounded it. A myth that kind of came to be part of Australian identity making ideas about egalitarianism for some, a very masculinist sort of war based idea and a martyr that was very fitting to that. In Macaulay's book, though, uh, this uh, Simpson and his donkey are resurrected, somehow survive for a hundred years and wraith-like wander through the Australian landscape, vainly trying to make it to the inland sea. And on the way, they encounter a lot of the problems of modern Australia, Australia's treatment of asylum seekers, our treatment of women, uh, and very, very importantly, our treatment of Indigenous people and what that says about us. Joining me to talk about his book, uh, Simpson Returns, is Wayne McCauley. Wayne, welcome to Backstory. 
Thanks for having me. Yes. I uh, really feel like in a lot of ways this is a fitting book to be talking about given the events in the weekend and and the divisions um, that we're really seeing between uh, different cultural groups in Australia and, you know, this idea of a, a kind of, I guess in a way, a backlash against progressive ideas uh, that's sort of really being you know, quite keenly felt or at least talked about. But before we get to, to that sort of part of it, I'm really interested in why you decided to take on the Simpson um, and his donkey sort of myth, because really it is the myth rather than the actual person mm-hmm. that you are sort of addressing in this in this incredibly allegorical tale. Um, look, sadly, the idea has been around for a long time, and that is the idea of um, looking deeper into that very very sort of white male uh, myth you know it's a it's a it's very much a white myth um and again it's mostly surrounded by a myth of failure which is gallipoli as many of our white myths are um and the the idea first came to me quite quite some years ago so um i've i've i suppose most a lot of my work is trying to investigate why we are who we are as Australians, I mean, and in a sense, where did we go wrong? And, and I don't want the book to be prescient <laughs> of what happened on the weekend, um, but I feel that there is some subterranean energy in this country um, that is always pushing us um, towards that. And I think, um, you know, that sense of that sense of division um, that s- seems to be increasing in this country. The unwillingness to look at some of our, um, you know, some of our policies and mythologies. You know, the way we the way we mythologise ourselves as the lucky country, um, you know, happy, caring people, and you know, so on and so forth. I read a statistic um, a few months ago about that the um, suicide rate in Australia last year increased by eight percent. That's not a happy country, I don't think. So um, all of those things play into my work as a writer and specifically why I chose this particular story and why I've dragged it kicking and screaming into the 21st century. It it really is dragged kicking and screaming. You do try and and make, uh, I guess, in some ways, your Simpson and his donkey quite viscerally real, sometimes uncomfortably so, I have to say. Um, (laughs) And, you know, there's really, uh, you know, there's really a sense of, you know, you know, he's he's kind of like drinking to sort of sedate himself throughout this, and there's a lot to drink about, really. That yeah, he so, encounters. so too would you drink yeah. uh, and crack ampules of uh, hospital morphine if, as Simpson does. <laughs> Were you witnessing the things that he's witnessing now, and the assumption of the book that he has been witnessing for decades? Um, yeah, he's a pretty disillusioned guy. Um, maybe he's reflecting my own disillusionment but he um but i hope he's also he's yeah i think you know allegory is 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 a good way to sort of sum up the book i suppose um but i also hope as a writer my my main job is to make is to not make to help a reader come to the idea that what is being told is true that feels true feels real um and that and that even though the conceit of this book is absurd i totally acknowledge that that he as a character uh, is someone somehow we can relate to and we can empathise with uh, and we can feel something for. I mean, that's, that's really important as a writer. I mean, a character needs to speak to a reader, not just be a symbol. And I hope that 
the Simpson of my book is not just a symbol, which the um, which the unfortunate John Simpson Kirkpatrick, who happened to get shot in Shrapnel Gully, um, who you know who who was who was the other who was the other kind of Simpson that this is not. In other words, he was um, he was he was mythologized. He was a mm. real man mythologized. My job is to take that mythology and drag it back to a real man who is really walking among us and who is really thinking and saying these things and encountering the people that he encounters. Uh, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Backstory on Triple R. I'm Mel Cranenberg, and I'm talking to author Wayne McCauley about his novella, Simpson Returns, a sort of allegorical tale with some, you know, uncomfortable realities wound into it um, that, that reimagines uh, the kind of overly mythologised Simpson and his donkey um, returning, or rather never quite leaving <laughs> Australia and wandering through it and feeling quite dejected. Why while trying at the same time to save people, I, I think the tools that you give Simpson to try and save people are really interesting because they are kind of, you know, I guess um, classic, classic quackery in a lot of ways, what he's using to try and really cure the ills of people that he encounters are kind of really absurd in themselves yeah, they're sort yeah. of you know the sorts of things that people might have once put faith in that actually really don't work i can't help but think that this is a very obvious <laughs> metaphor here um but you do use it to, to great effect can you talk a bit about that element because simpson is kind of he's, he feels as though he's been condemned to continue to do the job that he has been assigned by history which mm, is that good, good he, way of putting it. Yeah. yeah he comes and <clears throat> yeah. he drags um people out um you know on the back of his donkey um, um, from situations where they've, you know, they've obviously been left um, in distress or with some kind of injury or, you know, a, a kind of existential injury, if you mm, like, as yeah, well. Yeah. Why have you kind of given him these tools to try and solve those, <coughs> well, it's those partly issues? The, you know, it's partly my re-mythologising of, of the myth and, and the idea that, well, a couple of ideas, I suppose, that one tracking backwards. The first one is that Simpson acknowledges <coughs> he's not a doctor, and he never was a doctor. He was a, the original Simpson, was um, a stretcher bearer. And all he could do, as he says in the book, is bring the wounded down to the hospital tent on the beach. And he, unfortunately, you know, again, the mythologising makes him much bigger than that. But that's what he was. Um, and now that's all he can do. So, in other words, he can't heal the sick and lame um and those who are troubled in mind um all he can do is kind of patch them up so to speak and hope that um and hope that somewhere else the real treatment um will come and i mean you know beneath that if we transfer that to contemporary society um he probably still has an absurd and it, it is an absurd belief um that perhaps government and society might be the real doctors that they might be the ones to do the real curing um, that all he can do in his sort of ragged-assed way is, um, you know, is patch them up and say, well, good luck, off you go, which unfortunately, again, metaphorically, is what we're often doing with some of the deep troubles in this country. Mm. We're sort of patching people up um, with a bit of quackery and, and, um, and a bit of sort of and a lot of talk <laughs> and then um, sending them on, on their way, so often sending them on their way to suffer again. Yeah, which which is the real feeling. I think I I wanted to feel hopeful when reading this book, and I think you try to to leave it at a hopeful ending, which is that it's just. And I don't think I'm giving too much away to say this. I think it's pretty obvious throughout the book that it just isn't Simpson or this myth's job no, to fix things. No, In no. fact, we need to. No, and that's actually they need to die. <clears throat> that's fundamental to the yeah. story and the allegory, as you say, and yeah. that 
is, and I'm glad you've said that because that is, is I suppose, a message. A book can't have a message, but if anything is sort of laid down, you know, trailed down as a foundation of the book, I suppose it is that, is that these myths, whether they be Gallipoli or <clears throat> the heroic Perkinwills, um, you know, and all the others, um, are not, are not, um, they they make us feel good about ourselves, or they're intended to. And Simpson, the Simpson story has been, you know, mortally used uh, in the most atrocious ways as some sort of uh, nationalist. You know, stand up and fight for Australia and Australian values, white Australian values, of course. Um, and so, you know, I think that underneath all that is this sense that that we've been bullshitted, you know, with that mm. kind of mythologising, that we actually have been. It's not up to these myths to cure our ills. <laughs> it's up to people in high places Well, it's power. also up to, I guess, up to us, and I think that that's a really interesting <clears throat> thing with the people that are encountered is kind of handing mm. this back to, to archetypes that are closer to the people that are really modern Australians. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. For example, a woman yeah. who is up against, um, you know, uh, trying to deal with single parenting with, an, with a partner that, that, you know, systems that are supposed to help her that aren't helping her mm. um, ending up in dire straits as a result. Um, we we meet um, a man who has returned, I'm presuming, from maybe Vietnam injured and, again, has just been left to, to rot, yeah, so to yeah, speak. Yeah. Uh, you encounter someone who's suffering from serious mental illness um, and, you know, and a man who uh, I think is representative of our treatment of asylum seekers um, and other migrants to this country um you know who again you know like simpson somewhat helplessly leaves on a mountain <laughs> and walks away um you know what will happen with this person and finally and most powerfully a woman who's been abused in the most grotesque fashion imaginable um and who is i think you know inherently representative maybe of what we've done to the people from whom we stole this country mm -hmm. um and i think there's a kind of wonderful you know idea of giving it back in this book this idea of actually simpson was just a ghost that was created by yeah, the people that came yeah, here yeah. Uh, to try and vindicate their rights to a place yeah. that was never theirs yeah. i think you do kind of there's a lot of underscoring of these things again you know the you know you are on occasion dealing in archetypes and there are some some there's you you are playing with the grotesque and with the absurd. Yeah, I think there is humour in the book as well as, as some really, really serious issues, yeah. Yeah, there's some really odd uh, kind of humour as well with the, you know, the, the kind of goats being used in one particularly odd fashion or appearing in one particularly strange fashion. And, and of course, these, you know, this is wound in with, with, um, with strange magic realism. Mm, um, mm. How how did you? I, I am interested in, and I think we may even need to leave on, on this note as well. In in just, I guess, what it takes to write a book like this, where you are sort of winding in all these sort of like well, oddly humorous, you know, strange sort of mythological elements, um, you know, bits of magic realism and and patches of realism. Well, that's a great question, and all I can say is um, it's taken a long time. That that, that sometimes ideas just sit there and, and work for you and this actually this idea was first published as a short story a two and a half thousand word story in 2001 so as you can see it's been a long time since the initial idea and the sort of initial formulation of the idea into a very short work to 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 what we've got now so i'll admit there's been a lot of time spent thinking and redrafting cutting rewriting and um 
there's been a lot of work gone into this little baby, mm. which is only 30,000 words. But um, I'd say probably as a, as, a, as a writer with five, five, five novels previous to this that I've probably put as much work into this or more um, than I have in any of my other books. I, I feel like to get that mishmash right, <laughs> the mishmash you mentioned, and to really uh, engage a reader with it, for the whole time is is what my ambition was mm. to, to to take a monstrous leap of imagination, yeah. an absurd leap of imagination, and make you make you engage with it, and ultimately maybe even believe it and be moved by it. I hope. Well, even the, the voice, I guess, of of Simpson, which is really the voice from that period of history, well, that's the right 1900s. too. That's, yeah, that's right. Right. I mean, he's speaking directly out of the past, but he's walking through the present, and I guess that's the other, the, the, you know, the kind of the. I think the beautiful paradox of the book is that we can, we can kind of you know um, refresh ourselves in the way we look at things, you know, the way we look at the world. Mm. If we just take a different angle, and of course, a resurrected, uh, right. almost one hundred year old man uh, wandering around country Victoria is a different way of looking at things. Yeah, yeah, ex- it exactly is. You know, it's and the- sometimes that's all a novelist does actually is just give us a fresh angle on, on, on old material, you know. Or uh, shows our anachronism stumbling into the or light. Or shows how, yeah, or shows how sometimes, you know, we don't, you know, I guess that's what writers do and what we should do is that we, is that we just shine a light in places we, we might not normally like to look, but also just give, give a reader fresh eyes for a moment, however long that moment is. You know, when you, I don't know, you read a book or you go and see a movie and you kind of walk out and you just... The world just seems a little bit different. You're, you're, you're reflecting things slightly through that lens than the lens you you went in with before, and that certainly is my job and my ambition, I suppose, as a writer is to is to give the reader an opportunity to see, look at things they'd not looked at in quite this way before. This being a radical version of that notion, um, to see through see things through what is clearly uh, an unreal character. To see things through that eyes is to see the world quite differently. Well, Wayne McCauley, thank you so much for joining us today on Backstory and thank you for this book. Thank you. Thanks for having me on Triple R again. Great. You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 Triple R FM in Melbourne, Australia. Now, Welcome to the Future is the theme of this year's Emerging Writers Festival, which runs from the 19th to the 29th of June. And if this year's festival lineup is anything to go by, the future can't come soon enough. Panels and talks range from Speaking Truth to Power, Imagining Libraries in the Year 2022, Reimagining Language in a Multicultural Future, and AI Bots Making Sweet, Sweet Poetry. Joining me on the line now to talk about the festival and some of these incredible ideas and events is director Izzy Roberts-Orr. Izzy, welcome to Backstory. Thanks so much for having me, Mel. I'm really super excited and I have to say I I really did love your programming uh, of last year's event as well. So when I sort of opened up to have a look at what was happening this year, I was also you know, incredibly delighted. Uh, you really are kind of, you know, getting that idea of, of, you know, really looking to the future and looking at it with some hope, which is definitely what we need right now. I'd love you to start by talking about the kind of keynote address, which is the Speaking Truth to Power uh, event, which I think could not be more relevant at the moment. 
Yeah, I look, I feel really privileged that um, we're going to be opening the festival this year. Um, it, yeah, it is a, it's actually three keynotes uh, in a way, which will be from Paola Bala, Eugenia Flynn and Adi Vicky Cousins. Um, I'm also really excited that we're going to be at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art for the first time this year. It feels like a really good and appropriate place to start the festival off. But, um, yeah, I really wanted to um, open the festival thinking a bit about uh, what the place is of our storytellers and, I guess, particularly at the moment, a lot of people are feeling um, a little bit afraid of the future, I would say. So it seems like a, a good place to start. Yeah, it's a really great one. Um, these, these ideas, I guess, as well, that are, that are happening more and more in the Emerging Writers Festival, because I think in the past it's really been a, a focus on the kind of, you know, how to get into writing or how to get published or how to appease an editor. Um, you've really shifted that to these kind of visionary ideas that I really think that, you know, emerging writers should be thinking about, which is new new forms of writing or new ways of thinking about it, new ideas or ideas that are progressive or, you know, really kind of pushing uh, the way that we think about the world. Is this something that you've really uh, taken on as a, an important kind of framework now for the Emerging Writers Festival? Definitely. And I do think it's something... We've definitely done uh, a bit of this in our history, whether explicitly or not, but um, certainly I feel that the festival is a space for, um, you know, access is incredibly important for us and it's a, it's a space that it's really important that we maintain in our, you know, 17-year history that we keep our ticket prices low, for example, and over half the program is free and these ideas are really central to what the festival does as well because I think that sometimes, unfortunately, um, storytelling or art-making is something, not sometimes, very often art-making and storytelling is something um, that you need quite a degree of privilege to access and that's something that we are really aware of um and i think that yeah definitely through the course of considering your craft so it's that's still something we do a lot of as well as um providing low cost or or free options for people to come along and, and learn how to develop their craft and find ways into the industry and that really practical learning framework but also part of that is you know you've got to be considering these questions from the beginning um and definitely in terms of our own curation um there are artists that i want to be putting their voices forward and you know that's an exciting thing I would hope that coming along to our performance events, you know, if you're not necessarily coming along to learn as a writer yourself, but you want to come and support some people who are at the early stages of their career, that the kinds of writers you're going to see on our stages are absolutely the future of literature and they might not be people you've heard before and in fact they might not be from groups of people that you've heard from uh, much before but hopefully they're people that you're really going to enjoy as much as as much as we do yeah now, there are a couple of uh, events in here that are very, very close to my heart. One of them is actually reimagining language in a multicultural future. I, I love this idea not only of, you know, really embracing the fact that, that in a multicultural country there should not be be this consideration that that one language gets supremacy it's a language of common use but but we have many cultures sitting together um, and you know that includes language groups which are often left out of writers festivals uh, it's always English language dominated in in Australia and by countries um, whose language is predominantly English I'm really interested in this event can you talk a little bit about it 
Definitely. I think it's something um, I'm keenly thinking about. I'm really um, excited, actually. I feel that there's been, there's like a, feels like there's a little bit of a shift um, very recently into um, more translated works that I'm able to access. So, uh, like, I just received in the mail the other day um, a, a book by an Indonesian writer, um, Norman Pasarabu Erickson, who was part of our Digital Writers Festival last year, um, which has been translated from Bahasa Indonesia into English by Giramondo. And just, you know, having access to that for me is, is really exciting because, um, you know, I don't speak Indonesian, but I'm really fascinated by what contemporary literature is happening um, so close by. Um, yeah, and I think it's something. It is a it is a challenge within um, the the kind of I guess um, dominance of um, communication in English. But and sometimes I think we have a bit of a, a weird cultural cringe around that. Depends on where you're talking about. Like either we have people who speak like eight languages fluently, or we have people who are really only monolingual. Um, that like myself predominantly um, who sometimes feel a bit maybe intimidated about the idea of engaging with literatures in other languages and I think we both need to celebrate the folks who are already working in so many different languages in amazingly creative ways as well as opening it up to folks who perhaps are a bit anxious that they, they're not going to be able to understand it or that it'll be too difficult and, and finding ways to, to connect those dots as well. Yeah, I'm really keen. Like, I mean, we had um, our Indonesian exchange artist um, in 2017 speak at opening night and we had, um, uh, we had Azri speak with uh, a local um, Indonesian academic, Yacinta Kurniasi, um, speak and, in Bahasa Indonesia and English and things like that where you can understand the music of a language and the rhythm of it even if you don't fully understand exactly what's being said um, I think is a great way to try and open people up a little more to thinking outside of that very dominant English language idea. Yeah, there's another event I think as well that kind of again is, is challenging these kind of binary notions of what it is to be Australian and it's one that kind of talks about people who sort of live between cultures, you know, maybe are mixed race backgrounds or who have come originally from uh, another country and, uh, you know, and are migrants um, to Australia, but this is their home. Um, and how does that work? So this kind of looking at living between um, places and, and what that middle place looks like is kind of is something that I'm deeply fascinated by as well. What made you sort of decide to program that particular element? of the festival is that um the liminal event that you're that's right about yeah now? the liminal yeah. event yeah um well that's actually part of a stream called ewsx which we um have run this year our program coordinator aisha has been coordinating that um and we wanted to we we got a lot of pitches in the past um by folks who kind of um you know they had a really solid idea for an event um and we do an open call out every year which is which is fantastic um, but as a curated festival, often where we tend to already have built the framing of the events that we have and we're more likely to place individual artists within those events. So this time around we were like, oh, you know what, there's all these amazing collectives that are already doing great things and all they really need is the space within the festival, the framework, like the venue, the staffing, the marketing, the assistance to realise the ideas that they already have. Like they don't actually need our our curatorial input, they've, they've got this. Um, and that's what that 
stream is about. So we have four fantastic events as part of EWFX, um, which is, so there's, EW, there's Reflections, which is with ICU, which is uh, like an African diaspora um, film project, Decolonizing Screens. Um, there's Yasoy, which is a Latinx art collective. They're running an event called Fuego. Um, and the Waiting Room Arts Company are putting on Spaced. Um, they're a collective of artists with disability. Um, and Liminal are putting on this event that you were mentioning, Interstitial. They're, you know, now I would almost say long-running, fantastic online magazine um, investigating the Asian Australian experience. Um, yeah, so those that programming really is, is by those people. And um, I highly encourage everyone to go along to all of those. Now, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Backstory on Triple R. I'm Mel Cranenberg, and I'm talking to the Emerging Writers Festival director, Izzy Roberts, or about the upcoming event, which uh, runs from the 19th until the 29th of June, and obviously includes not just the program, but um, as Izzy has just touched on, all of these kind of EWFX events, which I love, um, that just obviously give voice and, and resources to um, to groups that are out there doing incredible work. Uh, I do want to mention one other thing and, um, you know, obviously you do like to play in strain to the sort of digital space quite a lot, um, uh, you know, wearing your dual hats of also, uh, you know, kind of working uh, in that kind of digital writers festival space as well. And there is... Uh, an AI bots making poetry kind of event, which is something I'm kind of growing to love. I know that this is the kind of, oh my God, the singularity is about to happen and we're getting taken over idea frightens people. But I sort of find it incredibly beautiful that um, this thing that was created for functionality has now become something that, that makes art. Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually fascinated by machine learning. It's something that I think is... Um very much, yeah, it's a little terrifying. And in terms of thinking about storytelling as well, I feel that um, a lot of writers in particular are a bit worried about um, the directions that AI is going in. Like, mm. you know, if it passes the Turing test and it can create dialogue, do we really need screenwriters anymore? Um, which I don't think is going to happen anytime soon. Don't worry, guys. Um, but, yeah, it's um, definitely trying to explore some of those um more experimental things that are on the cusp of our future is something that's always at the forefront of my mind and I'm always particularly interested in the ways that we can use those technological advances for creative means. What also Um, made me think about the kind of you know that cut up sort of approach to writing um, that was used you know supposedly by the beat poets to like you know um, William S. Burroughs to kind of chop up language and then mix it around i guess david bowie very very memorably had a kind of um, bit of software he created that he just kind of put lyrics into to create odd kind of corollaries of ideas in a way you know writers have always been you know not only engaging with things like a word processor to do things differently but but more kind of literally to sort of use randomness or um you know the generation of an of some kind of a basic algorithm to do these things with Definitely. It is a bit dada, and I think that's exactly how I would view it as a new tool, something to experiment and explore and play with. Um, And there's something very unique about the ways in which um, machine learning, like the point that it's currently at with language, think about the predictive text on your phone and the hilarity and joy that kind of can come out of that very particular mode of machine language, yeah. Now, Izzy, um, I 
really and very quickly coming up to the end of our time and I would love you to talk about uh, how people can um, get involved, get tickets, um, find out more about the festival. Um, I guess it's, there's a few really um, big things that I would encourage people to think about. If you're a practicing writer, I'd highly encourage you, or you're interested in getting into that, to check out the National Writers Conference. It's the largest gathering of emerging writers in the country. Um, and there's a range of masterclasses that are more specifically targeted as well. Um, I think for anyone as well who is more interested in coming along to support storytellers, the performance events are a fantastic way to start. We've actually got about five performance events on at Brunswick Mechanics Institute just around the corner from Triple R this year as well, as well as some things at FDAC um, over in Footscray and lots of libraries programming. Um, so those are all kind of ones that incorporate a little bit of um, involvement and engagement from you as an audience member. Um, as well, if you want to write some stuff, we have a couple of projects, like we've got a zine fair call open at the moment. Um, so jump on our website, emergingwritersfestival.org.au, to check out how you can get involved and book tickets and I hope to see you all at the festival. That's great. Izzy, thank you so much for joining us to talk about the WF and all the exciting stuff that's happening. It's kind of what I needed to hear this week. Oh, good. Thanks for having me, Mel. That was uh, Izzy Roberts, or the uh, director of the Emerging Writers Festival. Uh, and again, uh, if you want to find out more about that, you can look up ewf.org.au online, uh, find out about how you can get directly involved or how you can actually, uh, you know, buy tickets or go to some of these incredible events. That pretty much uh, brings us just about up to the end of the show. I would like to thank um, my guests, Izzy Roberts-Orr uh, and Wayne McCauley, author of Simpson Returns, which is out now through text publishing. Three, triple, ah. You've been listening to Backstory, the show about books, the craft of writing and the people behind the lines. I'm Mel Cranenberg. And if you like what you've heard, you can listen to the live version of the show Wednesdays at 12 on Triple R. Join the stream on the Triple R website or subscribe to this podcast in your favourite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Join me again soon. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.